Well, I want to say good morning to those who are here, those who are at our, our Mill Creek campus, those who are watching online, those who are watching by computer television. We're glad that you joined us. I love to be on the internet quite a bit, probably you do too, and I found out about a website, and it's called www.ranker.com. And they rank all kinds of things, and I found out you could go and vote for who you believe is the most influential person in history, the, the, the person who lived, who you believe had the greatest impact of, in the whole world. So I went and cast my vote, and 60% of the people agreed with me that the most influential person in history is Jesus Christ. Frankly, I was disappointed he didn't get 100%, but that's a conversation for another time. But then I got to thinking, well, I wonder who would they choose to be number two? Who would they vote to be the second most influential person in the world? And I personally, believe it or not, would vote for a man by the name of Paul. And I doubt he would get very many votes. Uh, and you may say, well, why would you vote? Of all the people who ever lived, why would you vote Paul number two right behind Jesus? Well, there are scholars that actually claim that Paul should be called the second founder of Christianity. As a matter of fact, one person who said that said, what I mean is Christianity is more than just the teachings of Jesus. Christianity really is about the Jesus who taught. And more than any other person who ever lived, Paul single-handedly shifted the focus of Christianity from the proclamations about Jesus or the proclamations of Jesus to proclamations about Jesus. 27 books in the New Testament, he wrote 13 of them. He became the preeminent theologian of the early church, the greatest missionary the world's ever seen. He single-handedly transformed Christianity from what started out as just kind of a Jewish subset, a Jewish faith, to a faith that included both Jews and Gentiles. He's the man that opened Christianity, the doors of Christianity, to everyone, everywhere. Now, when you go back and read the four Gospels, you find out they're all about the Jesus that Christians followed. But then Paul came along and said, well, I'm glad you told us about the Jesus you followed, but what does it mean to follow Jesus? And so Jesus said the number one goal of both the church corporate and Christians individually is to make disciples. And so Paul made it his lifelong quest to share with us theologically and spiritually and practically, what does it mean to be a disciple? You don't know whether you're making a disciple if you don't know what it means to be a disciple. So we started, I thought about this over a year ago. We're going to call the next 12 months the year of the disciple. We're going to really focus in on what does it mean to be a disciple. If you are new to us, our mission statement is to point people to Jesus and inspire them to live the cross-shaped life. To point people to Jesus, that's evangelism. But to inspire them to live the cross-shaped life, that's what we call discipleship. Now, I thought about it. If you're not a believer, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I would think you would at least want to know who this Jesus is and who it is that we want you to follow. And I think that if you're a believer, you will want to know, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I, I signed up to follow Jesus. I gave my life to follow Jesus. What does that life look like? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And frankly, I believe there's a great need for both believers and unbelievers to know what following Jesus really looked like. And I'll tell you why. Because there are a lot of unbelievers that don't have a clue what it means to follow Jesus. And it's not what they think it means. And there are a lot of believers that 
say they follow Jesus, but they really don't. And the fact of the matter is, following Jesus is not what a lot of unbelievers think it is, and it's not what a lot of believers say it is. So we're going to be looking today and for the next year at some letters. And by the way, these books we're going to be looking at, you may or may not know, they are letters. They're, they're real letters to real people at real times in real places in local churches. And four of those are found together, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And so they lay out what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. I started the first of this year, all I've been doing all year long, I kind of changed up, I'm reading these four books over and over and over and over and over. I'm going to do it all year long. I am soaking myself and saturating myself in these four books. And I have to tell you, just reading this morning, I'm constantly reminded about how short I sometimes fall of what it means to follow Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at these books. We're going to begin today with the earliest letter that Paul wrote to any church. You may not know this, but of all the letters that Paul wrote, scholars believe this is the first book he ever wrote. And we're going to theme each book to kind of help you out. And so the theme of the book of Galatians is free at last. If you want to know what the book of Galatians is about, what the overarching theme is, it is free at last. And I don't think it's coincidental that the very first letter that Paul ever wrote to anybody he wrote was this book of Galatians. And I'll tell you why. Because Paul begins his ministry by emphasizing the freedom that he finally found in Jesus. Paul didn't realize he was a slave. He didn't realize he was in bondage. He thought he was good to go until he met Jesus. And then when he met Jesus... All of a sudden, he was free from sin. He was free from the fear of death. And finally, he was free from trying to be good enough for God. No other book in the Bible explains why Christianity is so completely, uniquely, and absolutely different from every other religious faith in the world. Somebody, some people have called this book the Emancipation Proclamation of Christianity. Paul's major point, you say, okay, what is the book about? You're, some of you are going to love this. You ready? This is what the whole book of, of, of Galatians is about. Because of Jesus, you are free from rules, regulations, rituals, and even religion. That's right. You're free from religion. That's exactly why this book was written. You know why? Because none of those things or all of those things put together have anything to do with establishing a relationship with God. And the one thing you've got to know and hear and understand and receive to be right with God is what we call the gospel. Paul is absolutely, you're going to see as we kind of work our way through parts of this book, Paul is obsessed with the gospel. Because the gospel is the only message that distinguishes and defines Christianity. It's also the only message that makes Christianity the only true faith worth believing and worth living. Now, let's get something out of the way right now because Paul would certainly be accused of this today. To stand up here and to say, there's only one gospel. Every other gospel that claims to be a gospel is a false gospel. That sounds bigoted. It sounds intolerant. It sounds narrow-minded. So let me just kind of be clear at the very outset of where we're going for the next year. This is not the Baptist gospel. It is not the Methodist gospel. It is not the Presbyterian gospel. It is not the Lutheran gospel. 
It is not the Episcopalian gospel. It is not the Catholic gospel. And no, it is not the Republican gospel. And it is not the Democrat gospel. It is the God gospel. Now you may think, well, that's still narrow-minded. And so let me just get something else out of the way. You know, one of the worst things you can be told today by certain people is you're, you're intolerant or you're narrow-minded. Well, let me just throw this out. I think sometimes being narrow-minded is a really good idea. No, I do, and I'll tell you why. I want my banker to be narrow-minded. I, I want my banker to believe that two plus two equals four, not two plus two equals 10. I, I want my um, doctor to be narrow-minded. When I'm feeling bad and I think something's wrong with me, I do not want to go to a doctor and say, doctor, what do you think's wrong with me? And that doctor says, well, let's don't be narrow-minded about it. Just pick a disease. Just tell me what you want me to treat. Well, you know, and and I'll, I'll, I'll prescribe the medicine. I'll tell you what, you just pick any organ you want and I'll take it out tomorrow. <laughs> or I want my pharmacist to be narrow-minded. I, I don't want to go pick up a prescription and have him say, look, I'm just not narrow-minded like your doctor. I don't try to force my medicine on anybody. Just pick out a bottle. No, sometimes being narrow-minded is really a good idea. And what Paul is going to lay out to these Galatians over and over and over, if you are truly a follower of Jesus, if you are truly a follower of Christ, you will be narrow-minded about God. You will be narrow-minded about Jesus. And you will be narrow-minded about the gospel. And so Paul jumps right in addressing these Galatians with a problem that's going on in the church. And he tells them what the one and only gospel really is and what it ought to be taught. So we're in the book of Galatians. If you hadn't already figured that out, the first chapter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 1. And here's what I want to say to you today about the true Gospel. And before I say anything else, let me just kind of preface my remarks by saying this. And I don't want to say, I want this to come out the right way because I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. As a pastor, I'm amazed at who people listen to sometimes. I'm amazed at what people believe sometimes. And I just want you to kind of keep that in mind as we listen to what Paul says about the gospel. So if you want to know whether or not somebody's preaching the true gospel, there will always be three things that are true about that message. Number one, the true gospel emphasizes the grace of God. The true gospel emphasizes the grace of God. Now, in every other letter Paul writes, he always starts off by offering these warm greetings. Hey, how you doing? Been missing you. Sorry I've not been there for a while. Sorry we haven't talked, touched base. Sorry I haven't been writing you like I should. And I really want you to know how much I love you. Galatians is the only chapter where he skips all the formalities. There's no warm greeting. There's no warm fuzzies. He immediately begins confronting a problem. So we're going to go down to chapter 1, verse 6. Paul said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel. And I'm so glad to have Paul say that because I wonder sometimes... You know, am, am I being too, is it, is it jealousy on my part that people hear certain people or, you know, do I kind of feel inferior because, you know, I'm not where certain preachers are, certain pastors are. And then I read this and I thought, well, Paul, you have the same concern. You can't believe what some of these people are listening to. You can't believe what some of these people are believing. And Paul is stunned 
that the people in this church have so quickly turned away from the gospel. Now, let me tell you what's happening, okay? Let me kind of set this up. There were some people who had infiltrated the church, which, by the way, one of the responsibilities of a pastor of a church is to be careful whoever preaches in his place when he's not there. So there were some people who evidently had infiltrated the church, and they were known as Judaizers. Now, you don't need to remember that name. That's not a big deal, but I just want you to know who we're doing. They were Judaizers. Now, here were Judaizers. Who were they? These were Jews who at least said they had become believers in Jesus. They said that they had become Christians, but they were teaching that you still had to become a Jew to be right with God. You still had to be circumcised to be right with God. You still had to obey the law to be right, to be right with God. You still had to keep all these Jewish rules and all these Jewish regulations they prescribed if you wanted to be a true Christian. And Paul is astonished that these believers he had shared the gospel with had now turned on a dime and down there, they're, exact, they're accepting pretty much the exact opposite of what Paul had preached to them. By the way, when he says, I'm astonished, you're deserting, he actually uses a military term that refers to soldiers deserting the battlefield. What he was saying was, you are spiritual deserters. You have turned your back on the truth of the gospel. You are spiritual turncoats. You have bought the lie that a lot of people still believe that you still have to be good enough for God or God won't be good to you. And there's this lie that the love of God is not a gift you receive, it's a prize that you have to earn. Well, that's the mark of a spiritual deserter. So let me just kind of make this real easy. There's a little three-letter word. And whenever you hear that word added to grace or added to Jesus or added to faith, you automatically know this is not the true gospel. And that little word is the word and. If you believe in order to be right with God, you have to accept Jesus and be baptized. You have to accept Jesus and be confirmed. You have to accept Jesus and belong to the church. You have to accept Jesus and go to confession. You have to accept Jesus and give to my ministry. You have to accept Jesus and do good works. The moment you add the word and, you just deserted the gospel. You just turned your back on the gospel. Because when you add the word and, let me just say this. When you add the word and, here's what you just said. You just said the grace of God's not enough. No, no matter what you put there, no matter how well-intentioned you are, once you add the word and, you just said the grace of God is enough. Well, the gospel says not only is the grace of God enough, the grace of God is all you need. The grace of God is really all that we have. But see, not only had they turned from the gospel and from grace, they'd actually turned from the God of grace that gave them the gospel. Because there's only one gospel, and that is the gospel of grace. And when, here's, here's, I want you to hear this. When you turn your back on the grace of God, you turn your back on the God of grace. When you turn your back on the grace of God, you turn your back on the God of grace. Then Paul turns away from the Galatians who are turning away from the gospel to the false teachers who are perverting the gospel. Listen to what he says, which is really no gospel at all. In other words, I, I want you to understand when I talk about another gospel, understand I don't really mean another gospel because there's no other gospel. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. Boy, what a strong term. And they're trying to pervert the gospel 
of Christ. Now that word pervert in the Greek language literally means to reverse. So let me give you a modern way of saying this. These were people who were, who were reverse engineering the gospel. You know what that term means. That's what they were doing. They were reverse engineering the gospel. Here's what they had done. They took the gospel apart and then they started putting it back together. But as they were putting it back together, they stuck in their rules, their restrictions, their regulations, their requirements. And what they did was they perverted the gospel. And let me tell you, there are all kinds of perversions of the gospel out there that some of us, I'm afraid, listen to, buy into, and believe, but they're not the gospel. I'm just going to give you four, just real quickly. There's, first of all, what I call the affluent gospel. That's the gospel that says God wants everybody rich. Poverty and Christianity don't belong in the same sentence. If you're not rich, something's wrong with you. If you're not rich, you're just not getting in on what God wants you to have. Well, I'm just going to simply say I'm, I, I'm just glad nobody said that to Jesus or to Paul or to the disciples or the vast majority of the early church because they didn't drive Mercedes chariots and they did not live in luxury. That's not the gospel. But there's another gospel. It's, it's the most popular gospel probably. It's what I call the affirming gospel. Now, here's the affirming gospel. God loves you unconditionally. God loves you just the way you are. And then it doesn't say anything else. It fails to recognize that unconditional love does not mean unconditional acceptance of any lifestyle that you want to live and, and letting you act any way you want to, want to act. Now, let me make something very plain. Listen, I don't want to be misunderstood. God loves us unconditionally. So I'll make sure you hear that clearly. God loves us unconditionally. And God loves us just the way we are. Everybody got that? However, God loves us so much, he wants to change the way we are. He loves us so much, he says, you know what? I'm not gonna let you stay the way you are. So that's why Jesus comes into our lives to begin with, to change the way we are. So the affluent gospel, that's not the gospel. The affirming gospel, that's not the gospel. I'll tell you another gospel. That's what I call the action gospel. Say, so what is that? Well, it was known a long time ago as the social gospel. This is the gospel, and a lot of people love this gospel. They say that our number one job is to feed the homeless and clothe the naked and care for the sick and promote justice and equality. I want to stop right there. I'm for every one of those things. I'm absolutely for it. I absolutely believe we ought to be doing those things as a church. Those are all ramifications of the gospel. Those are all results of the true gospel. As a matter of fact, let me just stop here and tell you how important the gospel is. The gospel is so important. It and it alone is the only thing that will affect everything you do. If you really believe the gospel, you'll be the husband and wife you ought to be. If you really believe the gospel, you won't have racism in your heart. If you really believe the gospel, you want to care for the homeless and the poor. Those are all results and ramifications of the gospel. And so I want you to understand, do I believe we ought to be doing those things? Absolutely. But as one great man said, if all we do is feed the homeless, clothe the naked, and care for the sick, and we don't preach the true gospel, he said, we're just making the world a better place to go to hell from. That's not the gospel. Over 80 years ago, the theologian Richard Niebuhr describing this kind of gospel called it, I love this. 
He said, it's a God without wrath who brings men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. That's not the gospel. And then there's another gospel. Hollywood loves this next gospel. You ready? It's what I call the adaptable gospel. Now, here's what that means. The adaptable gospel says, your faith is just as good as my faith. And your religion is just as good as my religion. And your belief is just as good as my belief. Every faith is equal. Look, we all want to get to the same place. We're all trying to get to the same God. We're just taking different paths to get there. Love wins. And because love wins, in the end, everybody wins. And then this guy comes along named Paul and he says, no, there's only one gospel. And you can put any religious message in the world up against the gospel and here's what you're gonna find. There are only two religious messages or two spiritual messages giving out all over the world. And only one of them is right and the rest of them are wrong. So one message is spelled always, there's always two words that all these other faiths use to, to spell out what they believe. It's the words do and don't. So every other faith in the world is the same message, just different words taught by every religion. Here's what, here's what they'll tell you. All right, if you wanna be right with God, there are certain things you have to do and certain things you can't do. And if you do the things you ought to do and don't do the things you shouldn't do, you are good to go. Otherwise, you're not right with God. Every other religion in the world, they may use different ways. They may use different words. It's the same exact message. Doesn't matter what religion it is. Every single one of them, same thing. Do this, don't do that, you're good to go. The message of Christianity, the gospel, is spelled with one word, done. Done. That's the faith that's marked by the grace of God. What Christianity says is, it's not what you do that makes you right with God. It's not what you don't do that makes you right with God. What the message of Christianity says, God's already done everything that, you need, that needs to be done for you to be right with him. All you've got to do is accept it. And grace is the only message that's ever used. It's the only, we're the only faith that even uses that word. The only faith that uses the word grace is the word Christianity. Go look up every other religion in the world. They never use the word grace. Every other religious faith doesn't use grace. Here's what they use, goodness. Every other religious faith says, you wanna be right with God? It's up to you. Christianity says, you wanna be right with God? It's up to him. The true gospel emphasizes the grace of God. Secondly, the true gospel exalts the Son of God. It exalts the Son of God. Now, <clears throat> when Paul talks about grace, he even specifies the kind of grace that he's talking about. When he talks about the gospel, he even gets real specific about the gospel that he's talking about. So here's what he says. He says, look, God has called us to live in the grace of Christ. Not just any run-of-the-mill grace. It's a special grace. It is the grace of Christ. But then he says, we should not allow people to pervert the gospel of Christ. Not just any old run-of-the-mill gospel. It is the gospel of Christ. So here's what Paul does. He connects grace and he connects the gospel to Christ. So he says, look, the only true gospel the only gospel worth believing, <clears throat> hearing, preaching, and accepting is the gospel of Christ. So let me just make this very plain. 
The subject of the gospel is his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Jesus doesn't die on the cross, there's no gospel. Jesus isn't buried, there's no gospel. Jesus isn't raised from the dead, there's no gospel. So what Paul is saying is, Jesus is the core of the gospel. Jesus is the crux of the gospel. Jesus is the center of the gospel. Jesus is the content of the gospel. Jesus is the crown of the gospel. So what's the gospel all about? It's all about knowing Jesus, believing in Jesus, receiving Jesus, surrendering to Jesus, loving Jesus, and having Jesus. So it's all about Jesus. That's what the gospel does. It doesn't exalt the messenger. It doesn't exalt the preacher. It doesn't exalt the church. It doesn't exalt a building. It doesn't exalt a movement. It exalts Jesus. The true gospel revolves around Jesus. The true gospel always shines only one spotlight, and it's always on Jesus. Jesus is at the forefront of the true gospel, not in the background. He's not on the sidelines of the gospel. He's at center stage of the gospel. He's not in the shadows of the gospel. He is in the spotlight of the gospel. Now, since I'm kind of in the neighborhood, let me just make something plain about where I am, where our church is, and where we always ought to be. And before I say what I'm going to say, let me preface by making something very plain. What I'm about to say is not meant to be political. It's not. If it was, I'd tell you. It's not. And what I'm about to say is not meant to discourage you from being involved in the political process. It's not meant to discourage you from having political opinions. It is not meant to discourage you from having political concerns. It's not meant to discourage anybody from running for political office. But while I'm in the neighborhood, we should never, ever identify the gospel with any political party. Never. Our gospel, we don't preach a Republican gospel. We don't preach a Democrat gospel. We don't preach an independent gospel. We don't preach a libertarian gospel. We preach a Jesus gospel. Now, there will always be three things that are under satanic attack. In fact, they're under attack right now. Just mark this down. They have been since the beginning of time. They have been since the beginning of the church, and they will be till Jesus comes back. First of all, the master of the gospel, Jesus, will always be under attack. Just mark that down. He will always be under attack. You say, well, I don't know that people attack Jesus. Let me tell you something. Anytime anybody says there's another way to God except through Jesus, you just attack Jesus. Anytime anybody says you can bypass the cross, you can do tour around the cross and still get to God your own way, you just attack Jesus. So the master of the gospel is always under attack. I'll tell you something else. The messenger of the gospel is always under attack. Preachers and teachers of the gospel, preachers and teachers who say, you know what? It doesn't matter to me what the culture says. I don't care what Hollywood says. I don't care what the Congress thinks. I don't even care what the Supreme Court passes. This is what counts to me. This is truth for me. This is what we're going to believe. That's going to be under attack. And then the message of the gospel is always under attack. That only through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ can anybody be right with God. That message will always be under attack. And so Paul is saying to these, these Galatians, number one, you've forsaken the grace of God You've turned your back on the Son of God because when you add anything to the grace of Christ, here's what you're saying. Grace just isn't powerful enough. 
When you add anything to the gospel of Christ, you're just saying the gospel's not sufficient enough. When you add anything to the glory of Christ, you're saying Christ is not good enough. So the true gospel exalts the Son of God. It always points to Jesus. When somebody's preaching the true gospel, you know what they'll always do? They personally will get out of the way as quickly as they can and shine everything on Jesus. So the true gospel emphasizes the grace of God. The true gospel exalts the Son of God. But then Paul says this, and this, is, this, this really touches me. He said the true gospel expresses the heart of God. It expresses the heart of God. Now, Paul wants to make sure that these Galatians, he wants to remind them about where the gospel originated. He wants to remind them about where the gospel even got started or had even got started to begin with. So listen to what Paul says down verse 11. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. In other words, he said, look, I didn't get this out of a university. I didn't find it in a book. I, I, didn't just, I didn't get it from some great philosopher. I didn't make it up myself. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So Paul says, you need to understand something about this gospel and why I'm so astonished you're turning away from this gospel. This gospel is the only message that's ever been given that a person didn't make up, but that God sent down. See, there are many human gospels. I've just given you four. There's a lot of human gospels out there. There's only one heavenly gospel. There are many gospels from the head of human beings. There's only one gospel from the heart of God. Let me give you this illustration. Make, make it, make, maybe this will help you. The central teachings and the central message of Buddhism comes from Buddha. The central teaching and the central message of Confucianism comes from Confucius. The central message and teaching of Islam comes from Muhammad, the prophet. But the central message of Christianity comes from God, the Son, God in the flesh. The gospel is the only message of any religious faith that has stamped on the front of it, made by God. It is the only message that has the good housekeeping seal of approval. And to show how serious the gospel is, to show, to show you how serious it is that we preach the right gospel, teach the right gospel, believe the right gospel, respond to the right gospel, and accept the right gospel, Paul says this, and you talk about being super strong, you talk about not holding back, listen to what Paul says. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Let me tell you what he said. He said, even if you hear me down the road change my message, you hear me change my tune, you hear me kind of compromise the gospel, you hear me cave into the culture. You hear me say, well, you know, upon further reflection, upon further review, maybe you can bypass the cross. Maybe you can detour around the resurrection. Maybe Jesus isn't the only way. He said, if we preach any other gospel, let him be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I'll say again, if anybody, that means anybody, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. 
Now, many of you know what the Greek word for accursed is. It's the word anathema. And you say, what is that? Well, I'll tell you this. It's not good. To be accursed means to be under the wrath and the judgment of God. And what Paul was saying was, if anybody, I don't care if they have a doctor in front of their name. I don't care if they're charismatic when they talk. I don't even care if what they say makes sense. And I really don't care if it makes you feel better. He says, if somebody comes to you and preaches any other gospel or gets you to accept any other gospel than the only true gospel, they are accursed. And then to emphasize the, Paul, the point, Paul says, I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. I don't care if his name is Michael or Gabriel. Nobody has the right or the authority to put God's name on their gospel. Now, let me tell you why all this is relevant to us, particularly the church. Because we're living in a day and age where, frankly, the church too often looks more like Hollywood than it does the kingdom of heaven. So what do you mean? Well, we've made celebrities out of certain speakers. And we've made spiritual superstars out of, out of certain religious leaders. And so let me, let me kind of help you on something. And again, I'm not throwing rocks at anybody and not... Well, if, I, if I'm thinking about somebody, I'm not going to tell you who it is. But anyway, let me just stop. <laughs> if you don't hear anything else I say in this message, I want, to hear, I want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. Don't, if I die today, remember your pastor told you this. It is not the messenger that validates the message. It is the message that validates the messenger. Frankly, I get kind of sick and tired of hearing people, and they don't say it, but this is what they mean. Well, I believe that because blank said so. Well, yeah, I believe that because he pastors this huge church. Or he's got this great TV following. Or he's written these best-selling books. He's such good looking and he has this beautiful smile and he's so charismatic. He has to be right. I'm just going to repeat myself. Don't ever judge the message by the messenger. You judge the messenger by the message. So it doesn't matter how brilliant a man or a woman is. It doesn't matter what size church they pastor. It doesn't matter how many Twitter followers they have. It doesn't matter how many best-selling books they've written. It doesn't matter how good it may sound. It doesn't matter how many degrees they may have. It doesn't matter what seminary he may have attended. It doesn't matter how polished or how popular or persuasive that person may be. If that person is not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul said, let him or her, them be accursed. They are absolutely under the wrath of God and they should not be believed. And then Paul, you know, this is what I love about Paul. You know, Paul kind of had this attitude. You didn't hire me, you can't fire me, so I'm gonna tell you the truth. <laughs> so Paul kind of tightens the screws a little bit more. You're talking about being relevant. You're not gonna believe how relevant this book is to where we are as a church and if you're an unbeliever. So Paul, here's the way he wraps up his stand on the gospel. Now listen to this. This is a great question, by the way. If you're a pastor watching this program, this is a great question, pastor, you ought to ask yourself every once in a while. 
Am I trying, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So let me just tell you what Paul was saying. There are certain pastors, some well-known, and they will even proudly tell you there are certain topics they're not going to preach about. There are certain topics they're not going to touch. They're too hot, too controversial, too much win-lose. Well, I got news for you. If you're going to preach the gospel, the gospel has moral ramifications. If you're going to preach the gospel, the gospel has sexual ramifications. If you're going to preach the gospel, the gospel has ethical ramifications. If you're going to preach the gospel, you're going to make certain demands. You're going to call for complete surrender. Paul was absolutely obsessed with never compromising the gospel. And then here's what Paul said. Paul said, look, the choice is real easy. You can please Jesus and displease people. Or you can please people and displease Jesus. You are not going to do both. You can't. The greatest preacher since Paul, Charles Spurgeon, said this. He said, the gospel is perfect in all its parts and perfect as a whole. It is a crime to add to it, treason to alter it, and a felony to take from it. See, we're being told today we ought to be open to new ideas. Truth is never settled. The church didn't have it right for 2,000 years. The church was wrong. And we're being told what matters is not the plain teaching of Scripture, but the latest scholarship. Well, let me just be plain. There are some things that just never change. God never changes. Jesus never changes. Truth never changes. The gospel never changes. Right and wrong never changes. The, there is no gospel 2.0. There's only one gospel. And that's the one gospel that should be preached. That's the one gospel that should be heard. And that is the one gospel that should be accepted. I read recently, this, this blew my mind. 91% of the world's population has heard of Coca-Cola. 91%. 74% have seen Coca-Cola. 51% have tasted Coca-Cola. 10% of the world's population has heard the true gospel. So I want you to think about this. We'll wrap this up. For the first several years after Jesus' resurrection, the earliest Christians started getting this reputation that they were just so radically different from everybody else. They were so radically different from their community and from their cities and from their towns and from their next door neighbors. They were just so completely different. The world sought material wealth and riches, but these Christians would sell their belongings to meet somebody else's need. Society would lock criminals and contagious people with, with bad diseases in dark, dirty, dirty dungeons, dungeons and ignore them. Christians would go visit them, bring them food and clothing. Women were treated as second-class citizens and children seen as even less important. And yet these early Christians came along and talked about the importance of marriage, talked about being faithful to your spouse, talked about treating your wife with respect, talking about loving your children in the right way. And so people begin to ask the question, 
what, what made these people so radically different? What, what made these early Christians march to the beat of a different drummer? What made them stand out like a North Star on a dark night? And when you go back and read, there's only one explanation. There's only one way to understand why these Christians were so different. You know what it was? It was the story of the gospel. They heard it. They believed it. They accepted it. They lived it. And they preached it. It is the only gospel that turned the world upside down 2,000 years ago. And it is the only message that can still do it today. That's why we sin. That's why we're sent. That's why I'll be going out of the country tonight on a mission trip, doing what I'm asking you to do. And that's why we ask everybody here to have your one, to have somebody you want to reach with the gospel. Why? Because there's only one true gospel and it needs to be heard by everyone because everyone needs the gospel. Let's pray together.